0: Here we go. Here we go. Hey, let's pray. Let's go. I should have let you just have the day off because Palm Sunday is always so much fun. Good job bringing your kids, and thanks for coming to church. And it's nice to have it full. And Pastor Bynes was fabulous as always. It was very, very nice to have you all there. We're a little, you know, we're a little rusty. That used to come from muscle memory. It'll come back, but it was very nice to see you all. So, let's pray. And let's go. Um, I'm going to use the prayer that's under point number three. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Amen. Such a Lent. Did anybody else do praise you go for Lent? It's, worth, it's an app. It's worth doing just so you can hear the monastic gong at the beginning. Boom. Now, they've gone to some hippie music over the past few years. Uh, it used to be all Gregorian chant at the beginning, but I'm sure they thought they needed a little broader appeal. But it's, a, it's, a, it's ten minutes every day of Ignatian spiritual direction, if you will. The most basic sort of question. So, uh, I found this prayer particularly troubling uh, all Lent long although I tried to be rigorous about doing it, but this notion that you would give everything to God and depend on Him to give it back, um, that's a harder thing than to say God gives me everything. To say God gives me everything seems easy to me, but to say, and you can have it back and it'll all be okay, ugh, right? But that sort of brings us to the point where we are at today. Now, this is going to be a little bit shorter because we have kids that need poems and a lot to do before. So, you know, I set an alarm, really, 30 minutes and we're out, and then we're off for a few weeks and not much left this year. But... This is the easiest and probably most fun you can have at church. So, uh, and, there's, and I, I honestly mean this. there's nothing more fun than giving money away, and that's what we want to talk about today. It's fabulous. Now just for a quick review, remember where we've been. You have to sort of it doesn't make sense, It doesn't make sense that it's that much fun unless you sort of figure it out. So just I've given you what we did over the past few weeks, right? To understand that discipline is freedom, is order, is life, is Lent. To understand when all these things are together, holiness and love and discipline and freedom, when those things are all synonyms, when they pull all together, when they're perfect, you're in heaven, right? So when holiness and love and freedom and obedience, when we realize that we're limited and not unlimited, and frankly, I mean, it's so interesting how history works and how the news works, You know, we have these bursts of, we don't need a God, we're all okay, we can do it ourselves, everything is fine, we'll take care of it. And yet, the 20th century was the worst century for genocide in history, and the 21st century is getting a jump on them, right? More Christians killed in the 20th century than in the previous 19 centuries, but not just limited to Christians. I mean, when you read the reports about what's going around the world, and it's not just Ukraine. It's many, many other places where people are killed and left behind as if they did not matter. The human project, as if we don't need God. You know, people used to say, God has a problem with evil, or God has an evil problem, right? If there is a God, how could things be so bad? Flip the script. Let's presume there is no God. If there is no God, how can things be so bad? How can we be so bad? How can humans be so bad, right? Just to eliminate God does not solve the problem. In fact, it makes the problem worse because we are hopeless. Listen to the Old Testament reading for today. It goes like this. The Lord says, go worship the gods you love and see how that works out. And then, I'll be here to straighten it out when you've made a hash of it. So it's this brilliant bit of how do we go forward together. So when all these things work together, Life is good. And so point number two, and we did this kind of sequentially week by week, but just the basic things. God sets us free. He sets us free to do some good and then do some more good, because if you're imitating God, the thing to do is more good and more good. In fact, your goal is to make your entire life a sacrifice to God. That's your point, that like Christ, you would become a sacrifice for other people, which means you love everybody all the time. And so I've said this a thousand times to you, but I'll say it to you again. You have no enemies. You would think Christians are a political party. You would think, like everybody else, Christians identified their enemies and tried to destroy them. That is not Jesus. That is not us. No matter what anybody else does, you have no enemies. In fact, you're meant to be servant and love people sacrificially, right? And this is when heaven comes to earth as the kingdom of God. And this is what heaven actually means, where love and holiness and obedience and beauty and warmth and embrace and discipline and freedom and sacrifice are all the same. That's the definition of heaven, right? Right? So, um, we've done a couple of different things. Uh, you know, everybody, everybody struggles with this, but that's the reason we have Lent. So I'm all the way to point four. The three great disciplines of Lent are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And so we did that from the Joel text, the text that's always appointed for Ash Wednesday. It's about the three great disciplines, about saying your prayers, about fasting in a sacred moment, not to push God around, but because God has said, everybody pay attention, right? And so this is the last week of your fasting. I don't know how it's gone for you. I know many, probably more than in the past have done it. I've talked to a lot of people. It's been kind of a rough Lent. I don't exactly know why. Could be what we came out of. It could be the world now. It could just be where you are in your life, but hey, you got a week to go. It's all gonna be fine. A week from today, do whatever you want. That's still holy, sacrificial, loving, and free, right? So we're short on bond money, so don't nobody get in any trouble, okay? So here we go. These three great things, these three great disciplines. Prayer, which hopefully you develop this practice at least morning and evening. Fasting, from time to time you abstain uh, or you have a total fast from something to jog your memory about who jesus is and what he's done for you and then almsgiving and that's the one i want to talk to you about today so i'm turning the page i'm a poet number four almost always when i bring this up although not here much anymore somebody will quote to me you know don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing or blah 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 hey here's the text this is what the text does The text presumes that you will pray, fast, and give alms. This is Jesus, Matthew 6. When you pray, don't show off. When you fast, don't distort your face. Don't show off. And when you give alms, don't show off. He doesn't say don't give alms, don't fast, don't pray. You're supposed to do all of those things as a Christian. It's good for you. It disciplines you. It limits you. It teaches you that you're contingent. It shows you the way forward. It helps you grow in obedience and maturity. These things are good for you, even though in the short term they're painful. And maybe almsgiving chief among them because we can be so miserly. But I want to try to lead you to a place where you'll think it's the best thing that could happen to you, okay? So we've looked at Matthew 6. This is the gospel reading for... Ash Wednesday is the very first thing we read, you know. Um, you know, you should do this. Now, where does it come from? I'll give you a couple of things which I find particularly encouraging and fun texts. Uh, maybe not the first one, but already, already in Genesis 4 9, so the story of Cain and Abel, you know the story. Adam and Eve have a couple of boys. Uh, like all boys, they punch each other. But then things get sort of serious. Um, Abel obeys in freedom and brings the best he has. Cain disobeys by bringing something less. He sees that God blesses Abel more and he kills his brother. And then a couple of great lines come out of the story. The Lord comes to uh, Cain and says, "Um, where's your brother? And you know the famous line quoted again and again, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord answers, as a matter of fact, yes. But then also the very next line, the Lord says to Cain, you need to pay attention. Sin is always crouching at the door. That's an amazing phrase. Like sin waits at your door for you to walk out in the morning. Frankly, for when you come home to walk in. Sin is crouching at the door. Sin waits to take advantage of you, right? And then he tells Cain about how to be restored and how to go on. But anyway, the point is, are you your brother's keeper? Yes. And Jesus, who is my brother? Jesus swings his hand and says, not the people I was born with. All of these people are my mother and my brother, right? And of course, then broadened again beyond the church to love your neighbor as yourself. Single word that fulfills the law and the gospel. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love your neighbor. So when you care for other people in almsgiving, you do what Jesus did. Um, now, I give you a couple of Old Testament examples just for a couple of things. One is they're super fun. And second they show you the long history. So there's Cain and Abel. You're your brother's keeper, and then some practical things. You farmers can appreciate this, or if you um, you fancy people who have Napa vineyards, um, I'm available by the way for most holidays <laughs> to pop out and bless your vines and cellar and other things. Okay, just I just you know as I retire, I'll need something to do, and you know if you need me to kind of look things over for you for a couple of weeks in your fancy private dining room, there. Hey, I'm available. And I'd be a good witness to the tech bros that are overrunning you. So here we go. Leviticus, right? When you reap your field, don't go right to the edge. Why not? I mean, you should get one of those GPS tractors that goes right to the edge. Here you go. Hey, when you you reap your field, don't go right to the edge. If you have a field, you've got enough. You leave something behind for poor people. Poor people come and go. People get rich, they get poor. The poor you'll always have with you. Don't despise them. Be generous toward them, right? And then the next one, you know, um, if you forget, you know, a sheaf, a wheat in the field, don't go back for it. Just leave it there. Don't worry, somebody will pick it up. And when they pick it up, don't freak out about it. They're on your land. It's okay. They're not going to bother you. Poor people are fine. You're going to be okay, right? Or the next one, when you shake your olive trees, you remember, once I spent a month hiking through Greece, and I can remember it would happen to be the olive harvest, and they attach these things like a... It looked like that belt thing that my aunt Irene had in Victor, Iowa, that was supposed to shake you until you got in shape. <laughs> Did anybody else have this kind of demented childhood? <laughs> they send all of those to Greece, they put them on olive trees, and they shake the trees. In the, so when you shake your olive tree... I, here's the thing, there's so many things you don't know about me, and this is probably good. Okay, so when you shake the olive trees, just one pass is enough. Leave something for somebody else. You're all going to be fine. You're all going to be fine. It's like, it's all right. Because remember the very last line from Deuteronomy, hey, remember you were poor once. You were a slave in Egypt. People didn't respect you. People didn't provide for you. People didn't love you. People didn't even count you as human. People didn't care about you you didn't have a God, you didn't have land, you didn't have money, so people didn't pay any attention to you. You've suffered like this. Don't make other people suffer like this, okay? And then, you know, the next bit, Jesus says, hey, you should do it. Just be careful. Don't be a show-off about it, right? And then turn the page. So I'm on the page in seven, just above eight. And since it's Holy Week, I'll take the chance of freaking all the Lutherans out. When you do this, don't worry, your Heavenly Father will make it good. Hey, your Heavenly Father is going to square it up. You know, I don't know if he's just going to change your dollars for Bitcoin. I don't know if he's going to do it that way, okay? I don't know if you know, you're going to get a promotion. I don't actually know about that. I don't know if he's just going to take a burden off your heart. I don't know how he's going to square it up. He might not even square it up in this life. All you should know is your Heavenly Father is good for it. And of course, now you should be TikTok, and you should say, okay, um, this is how the world works. Jesus comes to me, he resurrects me in baptism, he forgives me, and he lets me play in his kingdom. So Jesus is out loving everybody, especially the poor, the dispossessed, the orphaned, the widowed, right? The underclasses that nobody loves. Jesus loves them, I'll be like Jesus, I'll love them too. And don't worry about the balance sheet, the Lord will square it up later. It's all gonna be fine, you're gonna be fine. You live in Wheaton, Illinois, you're going to be fine. And in the church, as I've said to you a dozen times, we can't have any poor people in our congregation. We can't have people who don't have enough because we all have enough and they're our brothers and sisters and so we need to take care of them too. This all falls under this notion of almsgiving, right? The little bit extra. So, um, number eight, the best job in the world... um, I wish I had this job, right? And I've told you about this before, but it's been a few years. The Pope has an almoner. Bishops often have an almoner too, but the Pope has an almoner and he's famous uh, because all he does is give away the Pope's money. And if you pay attention to news reports, you'll see him pop up kind of on the side. It's only like not pop up making a show, but pop up because people are tracking him down. He's normally like, hey, I'm kind of busy here. Will you leave me alone? When migrants wash ashore in Italy um, or other places kind of south from Africa, he's there to bring them food and clothing. When there's an earthquake, he brings phone cards so people can call home and say, I'm still alive. You know, there's this famous one where a few years ago the Pope had a birthday party, and he went outside, and he got the four closest homeless people to the door of the Vatican, including a guy who brought his dog in. Can I bring my dog? Of course you bring your dog. And then they snap this picture of these guys, these homeless guys, eating birthday cake with the Pope and the guy's dog. It's fabulous. <laughs> or there was this place underneath the Vatican. If you've been to the Vatican, so you look at St. Peter's and you know there's the columns on each side. There was some unused space underneath the columns, and so they turned them into showers and into places where you can get a haircut and wash your clothes for poor people. Right? You kind of go, yeah, that's what the church should look like. Right? This has got to be the world's best job. All this guy does is give away somebody else's money. And then kind of a famous story where, um, I don't know what everybody else did about this, but he let people, he gave up his office and let this immigrant family, the woman was pregnant, they didn't have any place to live, so he like let them live in his office in the Vatican. You're kind of going, hmm. If you've been to the Vatican, you're thinking to yourself, those guys with the stripy pants and the pointy swords, you right, the Swiss, well, I wonder what they thought about that. But you just kind of go, well, this is how, this is how life works, right? There's nothing better in your life than giving away some of the things the Lord has given you. Um, So turn the page. I'm at just nine already because I know I'm on the clock. Right? You basically do this because Jesus loves everybody, so I love everybody. Jesus does a better job. Right? But to love, as I've often reminded you, is to do good. It's a verb, right? It's not this emotion. It's not only the emotion. It's great if the emotion comes along, but it doesn't always come along. But to love somebody is to do good to them. And you mimic Jesus. And, you know, the, you get the opposite in this text, which is sort of famous from James chapter 2, where James is a little cranky with the Christians. And he said, you know, if you walk down the street and you see a homeless person who's hungry in the cold, and you just say, be warm and be full, and you walk by, he's like, that's worse than doing nothing, right, you just walk by, and you just say, your life's going to work out, or get a job, or whatever, you know, so, I mean, here it is, just, I just gave you, just look at the bold parts, right, My brothers show no partiality. And in this case, that means between rich people and poor people. So if you have rich people come to the church and poor people come to the church, everybody gets treated the same. But then kind of the next bit, right? He gives a description. And he says, don't be judgy. Because when you're judgy, those are evil thoughts. This is Lutheran bread and butter, friends. This is like when Jesus judges... He judges everybody the same, and he judges everybody righteous. He judges everybody as, I'm in love with you. He judges everybody as worthy. Which is not the way we judge when we judge folks. So, you know, don't show partiality. Don't be judgy, because that's evil. That's a very strong statement. You become judges with your evil thoughts. And then, next, how God has chosen those who are poor in the world To be rich in faith, to be rich in things. And the positive side, verse 8. If you really want to fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Good job. You could never do more, you could never do better than love your neighbor as yourself. But that just doesn't mean kind of like a throwaway forget about it. It means this constant engagement of love. Pause. If you're beginning to hear any of this as a political statement, you should pause. This has nothing to do with politics, although it certainly has to do with how we act in the world. It doesn't favor one side or the other, elevate one side or push one side down. It has none. This is pure Jesus stuff. Theology is principle, politics is strategy. You can pick your politics any way you like so long as you put into effect what Jesus says. And you can argue about what policy might be best to do that. And I'm not going to tell you what I think, because what I think doesn't matter, because I went to pastor school, not politics school. You are free so long as what you're aiming at is holiness, goodness, love, and being conformed into the image of Christ. There's this notion, especially this week in the church, of the cruciform life, that God takes you and pushes you into the form of a cross, cruciform. It's like when you make cookies with a, you know, with a cookie cutter. Like Parts of things get cut off. Right? The stamp, you end up with a cookie that looks exactly like you want, but a lot of things get lost. That's how the cruciform life looks. That's how Holy Week works that you're being conformed to the image of Christ, that your life and mine should, Im- should imitate Christ, right? So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law, and this is gorgeous, under the law of freedom. You shouldn't do this because I say it. You shouldn't even do this just because Jesus says it. If you do it just because Jesus says it, you're still under the law. You do it because you recognize the dignity of other people. You love them. You help them. You try to understand them. You do your best by them. This is why you give alms, right? This is why you do it. Because, last thing at the bottom, mercy triumphs over judgment. That's all from James. None of that is me. That's a direct quote. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay? Okay? So at the top of the page, just above 10, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, that's dead. Right? So your faith and your works can't be disconnected. Now, you do in fact... um, so two things, you have in fact experienced this, and you do in fact need to sort it out for yourselves. So the first bit, I just give you a list of all the things that would be considered almsgiving from St. John, right? Christmas sharing is always the big one. It's the biggest thing we do every year, and it'll be interesting to see whether that comes back face to face next year, two years it's been drive up. I know that's efficient, but the year we had 29 language groups here, that was more fun, right? The Wheaton College kids, it was great. We had a lot of Wheaton College kids kids who showed up who spoke other languages. We even had some some folks, a few folks from the neighborhood who spoke Indian dialects, and we had people coming with these very, you know, small um, culture groups who spoke. And it just happened that we had people who could speak, and it was fabulous. So, you know, that's the biggest thing. But all these other things, I mean, I don't know if you know, we fund a woman who has um, been working in Stateville prison since 1968. She is unbelievable, right? Who of us either goes to Stateville prison, feels comfortable going there, or sticks with it? Right? That's the sort of things to do, right? Or, you know, the soup kitchen downtown or pads or all the other things. You guys bring food all the time. This is fabulous. You've participated in this. There is nothing better. Keep going, do more. That would be my short kind of thing for you. Little sidebar, but not much. I've talked to you about tithing and what that means and how that works. This is in addition to that. Your tithing comes to the church. Your almsgiving, it can go through the church. It can go to people in the church, but it also kind of goes elsewhere. So often we've talked about Acts 2, how people were amazed by the church in Acts 2, not just because they hung together in love, in spite of the fact that Jesus had been crucified, but they shared their money, their food, their miracles, their healing, with people who weren't part of their tribe. How much more anti-American could you be than that right now? They favored people outside their own family, outside their own tribe. And people were startled by this. And that became the legacy of Christians in the early church, when the Christians were the one who who buried abandoned bodies, when the Christians were the one who taught children, boys and girls, when the Christians were the one who fed the poor, when the Christians were the one who started the first hospitals. You know, so often the church doesn't do that now, but also gets shamed as if it never did that. All of that stuff in the Western culture came first from the church out of this sort of mercy. This is early. This is 200, 300, 400. This is really early, and it carried all the way through you know, for a couple of millennia. And you stand as part of that, okay? So, um, big finish, number 11, right? This is what it boils down to. Um, Jesus trusts us with his stuff. So, I mean, here's the thing. I hate to be the one that always has to break it to you. This is worse than having the sex talk with you. (laughs) You don't have any stuff. In fact, you are not even your own stuff. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. What does that mean? It means you don't belong to yourself. You don't have any stuff, and even you aren't your own stuff. You only live and breathe and have your being, as St. Paul says, because God has been gracious to you. So um, Jesus wants you to manage your stuff well, or to put it another way, Jesus wants you to manage your stuff the way Jesus manages his stuff, which is particularly apropos in Holy Week when Jesus has given up everything, including his life. Right. In fact, you know, listen to the gospel today. And the sermon does a good job with this as well. But in Matthew's gospel, you remember how they got the donkey. They stole it. So Jesus says, I'll need a donkey. And they said, we don't have a donkey. And he says, I saw one tied up on the road. You should go get it. And then he said, when they arrest us, what should we say? And then you should say. The Lord has need of it. And so they take the donkey and the people say, hey, that's not your donkey. And then they say, the Lord has need of it. And then what happens? Alms for the Lord. Right? So apparently you can steal stuff if Jesus says it's okay. But you'll have to work that out on your own. Okay? But all this is, you know, a gift and a blessing. Right? Okay, we've got to go to church, but hold on because if I don't set that, I'll forget, and then we won't have a last service. (laughs) Doubtless you will say to me, come on, that same person who's been on the corner of the Home Depot on Butterfield Road for the last four years? Number 13, judgment call for you. So here's the thing. I wouldn't go so hard at this if I thought our problem was we gave too many alms. Like if I thought you were going to run out and empty your 401k, into like one of those paper bags that the guys always have at Harlem and 290. Um, or when you drive to Midway, and if you have to stop when you go off, what's the exit we go off? You go, Cicero, you go to Cicero? It's like there's a condo. It's a convention there. People, they'll wash your taillights and your headlights and your, you know, and you're kind of like, who are all you people and what are you doing here, right? I'm, so here's the thing. You got to figure it out. You got to use good judgment. But my nervousness is that our good judgment is often not quite risky enough and a little bit too self-interested. So yeah, you should be careful, you should be careful. In fact, I've always said to you, even for Christmas sharing here, I'm really nervous when you, people let their kids run because if you put 200 people in the building we've never met before and you've got a four or five-year-old and then you're just letting them run, that's a really bad idea. If you bring your kids to Christmas sharing, you've got to have good sense, you've got to keep an eye on your kids. Right? But what's our problem? Is our problem that we're too careful or, or, or we're not careful enough? It's probably that we're too careful. Is our problem that we're too generous or not generous enough? It's probably we're not generous enough. Pick a number in your head and pick it regardless of you know your tithing. Pick it according to your means. Man, here's the thing. If you give a buck to those crazy guys giving out lollipops on my corner twice a year for, you know, wherever that money is going, that's it. That counts, right? Just be, as Jesus says, leaven in the loaf, right? Try to be in the world. It's not just about the money. It's about our attitude. It's about our openness. It's about human dignity. It's about how people suffer. It's about how people suffer even when they're conning you, right? And I, you know, I've been through all the arguments about, you know, do you take IDs? What if they use it for drugs? How about for alcohol? What if they're making a cottage industry of this? I get all of that. Hey, you can sort that out. Believe me, if you need a pure target, I can help you find one. If you want to drive past the Home Depot guy, be my guest, but then on the way home, drive directly to my office, and let's figure out where you can give some alms, okay? Just make this part of your normal practice in life. Pick a number, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 10,000 bucks. Pick a number and give it away during the course of the year. I have to tell you last thing because this is kind of impromptu. The happiest days of my life and most unexpected. Several times now, which is nice being here a long time, I've had people walk into my office with 5,000 or 10,000 or even $25,000 and hand it to me and say... You can do whatever you want with this. When that happens to a pastor, you have died and gone to heaven. (laughs) Right? So, I mean, my happiest thing is when people give money and we can give it on. Now, you should, you know, it should go directly to John Crow and it should be recorded and it goes in a separate fund and it's all good. Here's the thing. There is nothing more. Be part of that. It's the best possible life. You and I have enough, mostly. And if you're somebody here that doesn't have enough, you should come and see me because I will try to get you enough. But the whole point of the discipline is to get this into your mentality that we act as Jesus acts, that it's his stuff. We manage it as a fiduciary the way Jesus wants it managed and it goes to the people that Jesus directs us to. Yeah, you're gonna get conned. Yeah, it's gonna be dangerous sometimes. Yes, you're gonna make mistakes. Don't stop. Be more savvy next time. Keep yourself safe. Watch your kids, but hit the target. This is part of being a Christian. It's one of the three great disciplines of Lent. It's almost over. You should be doing all of them. I should too. That's what Jesus wants. We got to go to church. I love you. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses